Welcome to The Wellness Connection with your hosts, Roddy Aglis and Peter McCarthy. Our program provides you with timely and relevant information on the state of your health and the topics surrounding it, such as natural remedies, green living, expert opinions, important facts, and more to contribute to your healthy lifestyle. Now, here are Peter McCarthy and Roddy Aglis. Hello and welcome to The Wellness Connection. I'm your co-host, Roddy Aglis. And I'm your co-host, Peter McCarthy. We have an exciting and informative show for you today, including an interview with Dr. Janice Joneja, an expert on the effects of histamine on our health. We'll also hear from homeopath Tanya Kell on why access to this important therapy is so important. Plus, our usual segments, the supplement of the week, the burning question, and this week's drug-induced nutrient depletion report. But first, there's some good news for green tea drinkers. Please tell us more about that, Radia. Oh, I'm happy to, Peter. A study published online in the FASEB journal involving mice suggests that the most abundant catechin and biologically active component in green tea could alleviate high-fat and high-fructose-induced insulin resistance and cognitive impairment. Previous research pointed to the potential of green tea to treat a variety of human diseases, yet until now, green tea impact on insulin resistance and cognitive deficits triggered in the brain by a Western diet remained unclear. The lead author, a researcher at the College of Food Science and Engineering, Northwest ANF University in Yangling, China, said, Green tea is the second most consumed beverage in the world after water and is grown in at least 30 countries. The ancient uh, habit of drinking green tea may be a more acceptable alternative to medicine when it comes to combating obesity, insulin resistance, and memory impairment. For 16 weeks, researchers monitored a mouse population and found that those fed with high fat and high fructose had a higher final body weight than the the control mice and a significantly higher final body weight than the high fat and high fructose plus green tea mice. In performing a Morris water maze test, researchers found that mice in the high fat and high fructose group took longer to find the platform compared to mice in the controlled group. The high fat and high fructose plus green tea group had a significantly lower escape latency and escape distances that the high fat and high fructose group on each test day. When the hidden platform was removed to perform a probe trial, high fat and high fructose treated mice spent less time in the target quadrant when compared to the controlled mice with fewer platform crossings. A high fat and high fructose plus green tea group exhibited a significant increase in the average time spent in the target quadrant and had greater numbers of platform crossings, showing that green tea could improve high fat and high fructose induced memory impairment. Many reports, anecdotal and some extended research base are now greatly strengthened by this more penetrating study, said the editor-in-chief of the FASEB journal. So, (laughs) Wow. That says a lot, both in cognitive function, which they showed, and also in just reducing the the, uh, obesity and insulin resistance 
component with just adding green tea. Isn't that amazing? You know, and green tea has been known for, for centuries within uh, the Asian uh, cultures to be of benefit. And this is really the first time that we've been able to see it definitively showing to, to have a positive impact on diet and lifestyle related factors. Yeah, and a positive impact on cognitive function. That's really interesting. And Peter, you have some exciting news about the power of vitamin C, don't you? Yes, I do, Radia. And researchers in the United Kingdom may have found a way to destroy cancer cells with a combination of vitamin C and antibiotics. A University of Salford research team made use of a new experimental approach to knock out these stem cells that spur the expansion of fatal tumors. The research was recently published in the journal OncoTarget. The antibiotic used in the research is doxycycline. The application of ascorbic acid, also known as vitamin vitamin C, following the application of doxycycline, unexpectedly proved quite effective in destroying cancer stem cells in lab conditions. The Salford research team states their method provides a new explanation for the prevention of cancer cell expansion to the point that they become resistant to treatment. Their work, conducted at Salford's Biomedical Research Center, will also help determine how combination therapies can be used best to overcome cancer cell resistance to drugs. The research showed that vitamin C is upwards of 10 times more effective at halting cancer cell growth than other pharmaceutical treatments. The research team reports that the combination of vitamin C with an antibiotic proves about 100 times more effective at combating cancer than some pharmaceutical treatments. The beauty of this treatment approach partially lies in the fact that vitamin C and doxycycline are both non-toxic, so there will be minimal, if any, side effects. And this one-two combination will also likely be used as an add-on to traditional therapies in order to stop the recurrence of tumors, the progression of disease, and the onset of secondary malignant growths. Well, of course, Peter, we've seen so much through the years of uh, higher doses of vitamin C and vitamin C IV drips with cancer patients and with patients that also have autoimmune disease and others. And I've I've seen in my long years um, working with the AB Clinic in Mexico uh, of doing literally just really high 50 to 100,000 IU in an IV drip of vitamin C. And these patients, these cancer patients are being treated very successfully. So Wow. So it's, a, it's, it's really uh, you know, stunning and very positive news, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And now I'm delighted to introduce our special guest for this show, Dr. Janice Jonaja. Um, She's a researcher, educator, educator, author, and clinical counselor with over 30 years of experience in the area of biochemical and immunological reactions involved in food allergies and intolerances. She holds a PhD in medical microbiology and immunology. She has held faculty positions in several universities, including the University of British Columbia, and has taught at universities and colleges throughout Canada, the USA, 
the UK, and other English-speaking countries. Yes, Dr. Janeja is the author of 10 books and dietetic practice manuals on immunology and food allergy, a textbook on irritable bowel syndrome, and a number of distance education courses. Her work has been published in peer-reviewed scientific and medical journals, as well as in popular magazines. She is president of Vickerstaff Health Services, Inc., a practice that provides resources for people suffering from all aspects of adverse reactions to food and for the professionals and caregivers who support them. Dr. Juneja, welcome to the Wellness Connection. I thank you so much for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. Absolutely. Dr. Juneja, you're a recognized expert on the subject of histamine intolerance. What exactly is histamine intolerance? Um, Histamine intolerance is a term that has been ascribed to a condition that looks like allergy, it feels like allergy, but it is not an allergy. And so many people are becoming very frustrated because they go to their healthcare providers with symptoms that are uh, very um, indicative of an allergic reaction, and yet all the tests are negative. And for about 25 years, I've been looking into this condition, and it has been initially researched very well in Europe, particularly Germany and Austria. And in the early days, all of the uh, research papers were in German, and I was very fortunate to have a a research student who was working with me who was German-speaking. So I've been looking at this field right from, uh, really, uh, the beginning. And what we're seeing is that the symptoms although mimicking allergy, are due to an excess of histamine in the body. Uh, Histamine is released in an allergic reaction and is a very important mediator of the reaction. But we see people who are reacting to the excess histamine who, in fact, don't have allergic triggers Uh, that we would normally see an allergic reaction. So everything stems from the fact that a number of people, and uh, it could be up to 1% of the population, uh, that are actually experiencing excess histamine that we, we call histamine intolerance. Wow. Well, you know, but that brings up a very uh, important point, Dr. Joneja. Um, Histamine does play an important role in the body. And uh, could you explain to our listeners why we actually do need it? Actually, histamine is absolutely essential to our uh, our well-being and also to our life. Um, It has many functions. Most people know of histamine because of the fact that we hear about antihistamines because we look at it as a a very big um, problem when it comes to, oh, the symptoms of hay fever, for example, or I'll take an antihistamine or urticaria, which is the rashes, or we'll take an antihistamine. But very few people actually understand that without histamine, we wouldn't survive. It has a wide range of of really important functions. First of all is defense. 
um, whenever there's a threat to the body's health, it's going to be part of what we call the inflammatory reaction, which is our defense reaction against viruses, bacteria, any threat to the body, cancer cells arising. It's going to be one of those mediators that are going to defend um, against these threats. Secondly, it's a very important neurotransmitter. It, in the brain and the nervous system, uh, where many bodily functions are controlled, it's very important in cognition, um, in the, uh, controlling the sleep-wake cycle, uh, the scadian rhythm, uh, the reasoning, perception, so extremely important in brain function. Um, in the digestive tract, we're dependent on it for the release of gastric acid, which is the first stage of digestion of protein as it enters the stomach. Histamine is going to uh, be released uh, and it will then trigger gastric secretions, particularly gastric acid. And then further down, it is actually a controller of the motility, which means the speed at which food passes through the digestive tract. So very important in digestion and um, even it is also important in muscle control, especially smooth muscle contractions. And so histamine is a, a very, very important mediator throughout the body and multiple, multiple functions. So would it be a fair question or a fair statement to make, uh, Dr. Janeja, that uh, there are consequences if we have inadequate histamine? Yes, there would be. Um, uh, certainly, if we didn't have enough, we wouldn't have had all of these uh, uh, functions. But I do not know of any conditions where we have inadequate histamine, to be honest. Well, okay. so, so let me um, just deviate here for a second as we're starting to have a broader perspective on genomic profiles. And, and I have seen in my practice individuals who have the DAO genetic. Yes, we are going to get to that. Yes, certainly. Yeah. 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 Well, and and that leads me to my next question, which, and I'm really glad you brought this up because Histamine intolerance, in a way, almost is a misnomer because it sounds like we don't tolerate histamine, which is not really the case. Exactly. Yeah, that's one of my arguments. I say we should say histamine sensitivity. Right on, yeah. Yeah, I've always tried to put that in my publication. Exactly. So explain to our listeners about why certain people that have that DAO um, are having problems with histamine? Well, the problem uh, with histamine it comes when there's too much. When we've got too much histamine, as I mentioned earlier, histamine is a very, very important mediator in inflammation. And when we have too much histamine, we're going to have an inflammatory response, which means that we could end up with all the symptoms of an allergic reaction. Mm -hmm. um, now, some, uh, when we have, um, everybody has a certain level of histamine that is required in their bodies. But if their total body histamine from all sources exceeds the capacity of their body to keep it at that normal level, we get so much, too, too much, 
that then starts producing the symptoms that I um, mentioned to do with an allergic reaction. Mm-hmm. Now, the way that this is controlled so that we know uh, that we don't get too much histamine is by two enzyme systems, diamine oxidase and histamine N-methyltransferase. Those two enzyme systems are essential in keeping histamine at a normal level. Now, from a genetic point of view, some people have, um, we have um, at least, there are about seven different um, alleles for uh, the um, uh, seven different genetic components, if you like, to put that simply, uh, that code for diamine oxidase. And we know that at least four of those can be deficient. And if we see that deficiency, uh, we know that the body may not be producing sufficient diamine oxidase to keep the level where it should be. And then histamine rises to high in those individuals. There's also one important um, uh, gene um, that codes for the histamine N-methyltransferase that people can also inherit a deficiency. And it's when these are at a lower than normal level that these people are at increased risk of having histamine in excess where we see the problem arising that we call histamine sensitivity. We've got, in these people, we've just got too much histamine and they are experiencing the symptoms of histamine sensitivity uh, that, that would normally not occur if the histamine was at a normal level. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and I think too, um, the, the combination, which I, I do want to get you to talk about possibly after the break, is, um, you know, the histamine foods that are, you know, that people are not aware of. So you've, you've got possibly yes. those people with the DAO, but also they're consuming a lot of histamine forming foods. Yeah, that, that's uh, one of the ways that we do have to control the uh, amount of extrinsic histamine, histamine coming from outside of the body. Obviously, histamine is being produced constantly within the body because we need it. We've got to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, certain cells will uh, produce it as needed. And there are uh, other cells, particularly mast cells, which occur, they're white blood cells, lymphocyte, uh, white blood cells within the um, tissues of the body, um, which not only make histamine, but store it. So these mast cells are storing histamine, and when it's required for particular functions, will release it. Other cells just make it as needed. So we've got Mm -hmm. histamine being produced all the time within the body, and we've got other sources of histamine as well, one of which is the food and beverages that we consume, uh, and we can certainly control that. And another very important source of histamine are the uh, microorganisms that live in our gut. And Mm -hmm. some of these are histamine producers. And so if a person has those in their microbiome, which is the microflora of their 
intestine. If they're producing too much, uh, if these are producing histamine, which can be absorbed into the body, that's going to increase their total body histamine. But very interestingly, at the same time, there are some microorganisms that are actually producing the enzyme diamine oxidase. Mm -hmm. So if we've got some of those in our microbiome, which we'd like to increase if we knew how, um, then they would combat some of this histamine that's being produced in the intestine. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I definitely want to, when we come back from the break, I definitely want to uh, get more into the microbiome and also, you know, how we can, you know, avoid, uh, you know, having these histamine overactivity. And we'll be back with more from Dr. Janice Jarnaja after this message from our sponsors. You're listening to The Wellness Connection on Voice America Digital Radio Network. Balance and good health, two essential building blocks for a full and rich life. But sometimes in our complex and stressful world, both can be lost, and you need to find a natural way to get them back. Enter CBD oil, a natural approach to restoring harmony to your body and your life. But not just any CBD oil. For natural results, you want to be sure the CBD oil you use is produced the right way. Wave Organics offers pure CBD oil from hemp raised naturally on farms in Colorado. The oil is extracted using supercritical CO2, which is free of toxic solvents. In fact, Wave controls every step in the process, offering quality control and natural approaches from seed to shelf. Visit waayb.com to learn more and use the code WellnessConnection for a 10% discount on your first order. Wave Organics, pure natural CBD. Listening to the Wellness Connection. If you have a question or comment for Peter or Radia, please send it via email to the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. That's the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. Now, let's return to this week's show. So, Peter, what do you tell your new customers um, about how to dose their wave CBD oil? Well, Rania, as you know, there are a wide variety of factors that can influence which strength will work best for any given customer. But generally speaking, I suggest that they purchase the 20 milligram per serving bottle and start at a half dose, which would be 10 milligrams, and then go up the graduated droppers to determine what strength they feel works best. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. I recommend they start at low. And, but there's something, this reminds me about a very important point I want to make about the measuring and dosing of CBD oil. Many folks come into the store and they ask me, you know, they say, I'd like a 600 milligram, you know, CBD. <laughs> so I'll ask them, you know, do you want a 20 milligram dose? And they often say to me, oh, no, I'm taking 600 or 1,000 milligrams. Now let me make this very clear so that there's no more confusion. You're not taking 600 milligram of CBD. Yeah, unless you're drinking the whole bottle. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> which makes it very confusing to the consumer. Yeah, I don't know why the CBD industry puts the amount of the bottle instead of the dosage per bottle, but when you buy CBD oil, you could have a one-ounce bottle with 30 servings of 20 milligrams per serving, and the label will say 600 milligrams. But on the other hand, this is what makes it a challenge to us, is 
You could also have a two ounce bottle with 60 doses of 10 milligram, which would also be 600 milligram. So it's confusing. Trust me, you're not taking 600 milligram of CBD unless you may have a rare seizure disorder and you're under a doctor's prescription. Yeah, and you probably would not be feeling too good in 600 milligrams if a normal recommended dose is 20 milligrams. Right, that's right. So it's so weird. I mean, no other natural supplement in the industry says says it like that. You know, if I have a bottle of vitamin C and each capsule is a thousand milligrams and there's 60 capsules in the bottle, you're not taking 60,000 milligram of vitamin C. Yeah, well, I hope that clears up some of the confusion because there certainly is a lot of it out there. Unfortunately, Wade cleared that up and puts the milligram per dosage on the label. And you can find more information about Wabe products at www.waayb.com, www.wabe.com. Great. And now let's continue our interview with Dr. Janice Joneja. Doctor, it's obvious uh, that it's important to know what our histamine levels are. Are there tests for histamine intolerance or sensitivity? And how reliable are they? Actually, um, that's a very difficult thing to answer because there really isn't, uh, how would we say, um, a reliable method of measuring histamine. We can measure it, uh, but histamine levels are going to fluctuate throughout the day. Uh, we have, um, certainly as soon as we eat, uh, histamine is triggered because we need it for the secretion of gastric acid. We need it for the motility of the food through our body. And so um, uh, as soon as we eat, we, we're going to have a trigger for histamine release. There's certainly, uh, a, again, a, a change in the amount of histamine that's produced through the day. Um, we see a rise in the amount of histamine in, that we can measure in the early hours of the morning. And some people will report that their symptoms, we should perhaps discuss symptoms, um, the symptoms of excess histamine uh, seem to uh, be worse in the early morning hours, say mm. about two, three o'clock in the morning, because mm. that's when we see a rise in the amount of histamine that the body requires because of the circadian rhythm. Um, so to actually measure histamine, yes, we can, but it, it's not a definitive measure, and it really does not translate very well into symptoms. We, it, it, we don't have the research that says, oh, if you've got this uh, level of histamine, then you're likely to have these symptoms, which we can do with certain other um, mediators in the body. But with histamine, it doesn't work that, that way. I would, I would uh, suppose that that would be uh, depending on your exposure to the antigen at that particular time that would be stimulating a histamine response. So it wouldn't well, be... it would be if that was an allergic reaction or if that was a defense reaction. Mm -hmm. That's when you'd see um, an immunological response to an antigen. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, but that, that's different. That, that's, that's an uh, immunological response to, a, a, say, a, 
foreign material entering the body. Mm -hmm. that, that's uh, defensive. That would be the antigen. But mm -hmm. no, that, that wouldn't be what we would be looking at for the, the normal level of histamine in the body when the body's just functioning normally. Yeah, I see. So how is histamine sensitivity treated? Again, that's um, a, a difficult thing to do. We've got some labs that will measure uh, the level of diamine oxidase in the body to see, well, perhaps if you don't have enough diamine oxidase, and a lot of labs are doing this, uh, perhaps then you're going to have histamine intolerance. But again, it doesn't translate directly into, say, I've got a low diamine oxidase production, therefore I'm going to have histamine sensitivity. So we don't see that correlation. It's, it's not a direct effect. It's uh, very much um, the, actual, uh, the, the actual function of the, the histamine and where the enzyme is required. Uh, for example, if we have, um, uh, say, um, a release of histamine in a defensive or allergic reaction, the histamine will then couple to receptors. There are four different histamine receptors through different cells in the body, and each of these things does something very different. So when the histamine is released, it then couples to the receptor and will turn on the function that is required for that particular cell type. And then when that function is, uh, uh, has been uh, finished, it's enough, and the body re recognizes, okay, the histamine has done its job, then histamine N-methyltransferase comes along, uncouples the histamine, and then diamine oxidase will break down that uncoupled histamine and get rid of it out of the body. So it, it's a very, very complex series of reactions in every function of histamine. And as I said, there are four different receptors. Uh, for, for example, H1R is the R means his H is the histamine, R is the receptor, and it's got a number one. That's the one that we see in, for example, an allergic reaction. Um, H2R is the one that we see histamine coupling uh, with re receptors on the cells that are going to release gastric acid. H3R is very important in brain function. Uh, and H4R, is, which is one of the newest of the receptors, has got a lot to do with the control of histamine levels. So, so we've got a lot of these things going on uh, in order to um, determine the level of histamine, number one, that's required, and number two, to make sure that there isn't too much of it. So this kind of begs the question for our listeners, Dr. Janaja, how can a person reduce the level of histamine in their body? Um, well, first of all, they've got to make sure that it's histamine that they want to reduce. So we've got to look at the symptoms. Uh, and then if uh, it has been determined that these symptoms are mediated by histamine, the first thing to do is a histamine-restricted diet. Because what's that going to do is to reduce histamine coming from 
outside the body. It's not going to do anything for the histamine that's actually being produced by the cells and the microorganisms within the body, but it will be under the control of the person to make sure that they are eating foods and their diet is the lowest possible uh, for histamine containing and releasing the foods that will increase histamine. And the second thing is that we can take a diamine oxidase supplement. These are available as uh, active enzyme. And these are taken just before the meal and mix with the food as it passes through the digestive tract, breaking down any histamine that is still in that meal or that food or beverage um, and will pass through the digestive tract, mixing with the food, breaking down the histamine, thereby preventing it from entering the body. Diamine oxidase itself does not go into the body from the digestive tract. What it does is break down the food, as uh, the histamine in the food as it passes through the digestive tract. So a combination of a low histamine or uh, a restricted histamine diet and uh, supplemental diamine oxidase. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Janaja, um, we only have about a minute left. How can our listeners find out more about you and your services? Well, for um, histamine intolerance, I have two books available. One is The Beginner's Guide to Histamine Intolerance, and the other one is The Health Professional's Guide. So de depending on the level that the person needs this, that they are uh, available on Amazon. And also go to my website. Um, well, actually, um, I think just... Yeah, my website is www.allergynutrition.com and that will take you to uh, resources that are available uh, on histamine intolerance and uh, associated conditions. Wow. Well, we greatly appreciate you spending time with us and sharing this valuable information. I'm just delighted at this conversation. Thank you so much, Dr. Uh, Janice Jonasia for joining us on the Wellness Connection and um, we will return after this uh, message but uh, your thank you I just I just love this conversation so thanks so much um, again you're listening to the Wellness Connection on Voice America Digital Radio Network All of us go through menopause or andropause at some point in our life. The changes in our body make us feel depressed, less confident, and lethargic. Research shows that levels of testosterone drop 50% between the ages of 20 and 40 for females and almost 1% every year for males over the age of 40. Alpha Male X and Alpha Female contain a powerful blend of nine synergistic ingredients designed to help support healthy hormone metabolism in men and women. Additionally, 
The select ingredients in this formula have been proven clinically effective in supporting sexual health and energy, promoting healthy cortisol levels, and providing dopamine support. When it comes to hormones, one supplement does not fit all. So be sure and visit alphatherapeutics.us and fill out the questionnaire to get the dosing instructions that are right for you. Use the code WellnessConnection for a 15% discount on your first order. Let's connect, because together, we make our lives better. Listening to the Wellness Connection. If you have a question or comment for Peter Aradia, please send it via email to the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. That's the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. Now, let's return to this week's show. Welcome back to the Wellness Connection. Peter, we talked a little before about stress and why the alpha male X is uniquely formulated. Yes, we have, Radia. Cortisol has a direct relationship with our sex hormones such as testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, etc. And when it's time to fight or flee, our body secretes cortisol and binds our testosterone keys in a sheath made out of a sex hormone binding globulin or SHBG. So symptoms of low T do not necessarily mean you have low testosterone, but rather too little free testosterone. That's right. And remember, SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin, binds testosterone and renders it unusable. So it's the free testosterone that really matters. And free testosterone is what will affect one's symptoms, right? Correct. And because of the marked difference in the total and free testosterone in both women and men, a slight increase in SHBG in a woman will decrease her free testosterone as well. Remember, the total may be normal, but the free very low. As a result, physicians tend to say that because of the normal total testosterone that the woman needs not to be treated, which is not true because the low free testosterone is the problem. That's right. So both alpha male X and alpha female have ashwagandha in it to manage your cortisol. Well, Radia, we know what that sound means. It's time for our weekly feature, the Supplement of the Week. And what would that be? Well, you may recall my discussion of free radicals. Remember, free radicals cause our tissues to rust, irritate, inflame, age, and cause degeneration of body tissue. That's right. And antioxidants destroy free radicals by donating one of their electrons, but are themselves destroyed in the process, and therefore, they must be constantly replenished. So here's where this product, glutathione, is very special. It's called the master antioxidant. It's critical for one simple reason. It recycles antioxidants. Realize when an antioxidant donates an electron, it loses an electron. Free radicals get passed around from vitamin C to vitamin E to lipoic acid, and then finally to glutathione, which cools off the free radicals and recycles other antioxidants. Yep, and glutathione can regenerate itself in the liver after each fill-up of free radicals and goes back to work. That's right. So, but when glutathione becomes depleted, it can no longer protect against free radicals, infections, or cancer, and we 
can't get rid of the toxins. Right. And some of the benefits of glutathione are that it raises energy levels. It strengthens the immune system. It fight in, fights inflammation. It improves athletic performance. Detoxifies the body. Aids in cellular repair. Protects against cancer. And my favorite, it slows down the aging yeah, I'm process. right there with you. Methionine is a building block to making glutathione. It takes B12, B6, and folic acid in order to convert methionine into glutathione. And those who have the MTHFR genetic SNP, which we're going to talk about in a little more and a little later in the show, may have difficulty making glutathione unless they make um, unless they have methylation support by taking the methylated version of folic acid, B12, and B6. Right. Garlic, spinach, broccoli, and parsley are all rich sources of glutathione. But oral glutathione supplements are difficult to absorb and utilize. So, you know, my favorite uh, is to get a better bioavailability with liposomal glutathione. Yeah, my favorite is liposomal glutathione by Empirical Labs. And another good liposomal glutathione is by Numedica. And I recommend about mm, three quarters of a tablespoon and a small amount of juice daily. And now it's time for the burning question where we answer those important health questions that you, the listeners, send in to us. It's important to note that any diagnosis of disease can only be provided by your medical doctor or other licensed healthcare professional. None of the information we present is intended for the diagnosis or treatment of disease. Well, this is perfect. This goes right along with what we were talking about earlier. Sandra from Austin asks, what the heck is methylation? Well, Sandra, methyl groups are essential for normal DNA cell replication, and they literally turn genes on or off. So bad genes can lead to birth defects, depression, cognitive decline, diseases, and cancer, and can be expressed by a depletion of your body's methyl groups. Right. So if you have depleted methyl groups and you're exposed to a toxin, an infection, or even a severe emotional stress, then you may express the bad gene, which can lead to a neurodegenerative disorder like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, an autoimmune condition, or cancer. The methylation reactions are involved in most body functions to some degree. This process of moving methyl groups around is necessary for a function of several biochemical reactions, such as DNA and RNA synthesis, creatinine generation, immune responses involving in silencing viruses, etc. Yeah, and this is why compromised methylation can cause or contribute to almost all health conditions. When we look at your genomics nutrition profile, we can determine whether you have an MTHFR polymorphism, and about 50% of the population appear to have genetic variants in the MTHFR enzyme, causing them to have some difficulty resynthesizing methionine from homocysteine. Yes, and this can be a factor in cardiovascular disease, mental illness, and perhaps other health conditions such as fatigue and exhaustion. Methyl groups play a role in detoxification, where methylation is a primary method of removing toxins 
by helping to convert fat-soluble toxins to water-soluble so it can be excreted by the kidney. And neurotransmitter synthesis and utilization is where methylation is a part of the synthesis of dopamine and serotonin. Oh, feel-good neurotransmitter. There you go. And methylation is a key step in the formation of our enzymes and protein. Yep, methylation is also involved in the preservation of telomeres. And telomeres are the tails on its DNA and chromosomes, and as we get older, these tails shorten. Oh, short tails. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Methylation is involved in converting homocysteine back into methionine. Homocysteine is a dangerous amino acid that acts like the glue that holds plaque together in the arteries. And methylation is involved in balancing hormones in the liver, such as restoring the proper balance of estrogens, for example. Methylation reduces inflammation by toxin removal, hormone balancing, neurotransmitter synthesis, and others. And methyl groups help to protect the mitochondria. They help adaptive energy production. Uh, Methylation also restores the level of SAMe to prevent depression and other mental and physical effects on the body. And methyl groups are required to make coenzyme Q10 or CoQ10. This vital substance is needed for heart health and for energy production within the mitochondria. Wow. (laughs) So, Sandra, now you know how important methylation is. And if you do have that MTHFR SNP, all of these processes can be compromised unless you have the right nutritional support. And that would be a methylated folic acid, not a regular folic, but a methylated folic acid. And listeners, you can submit your own burning question by going to the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. That's the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com and submit your question. Who knows? Maybe the next one we answer will be yours. Tune in every week to hear if your questions being answered on the air. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. You're listening to The Wellness Connection on Voice America Digital Radio Network. Balance and good health, two essential building blocks for a full and rich life. But sometimes in our complex and stressful world, both can be lost, and you need to find a natural way to get them back. Enter CBD oil, a natural approach to restoring harmony to your body and your life. But not just any CBD oil. For natural results, you want to be sure the CBD oil you use is produced the right way. Wave Organics offers pure CBD oil from hemp raised naturally on farms in Colorado. The oil is extracted using supercritical CO2, which is free of toxic solvents. In fact, Wave controls every step in the process, offering quality control and natural approaches from seed to shelf. Visit waayb.com to learn more and use the code wellnessconnection for a 10% discount on your first order. Wave Organics, pure natural CBD. Listening to the Wellness Connection. If you have a question or comment for Peter Aradia, please send it via email to the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. That's the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. Now, let's return to this week's show. 
And welcome back to the Wellness Connection. Our next session, section, excuse me, is our drug-induced nutrient depletion update. And what would be our drug of this week, Radia? Well, the drug today is cholesterol-lowering statin drugs. And of course, most of you know, but some don't for some reason, CoQ10 is critical for those, any of you who are on a statin. Think of CoQ10 as the ignition on your cell, and cells use it to generate energy. And CoQ10 also functions as a powerful antioxidant to help fight free radicals that can damage cells and DNA. In a study published in the American Journal of Cardiology, researchers indicate that using CoQ10 supplements seem to decrease the muscle breakdown, pain, and discomfort of people taking statins. Yep, so if you purchase these drugs, be sure and talk to a qualified pharmacist or wellness consultant to help you with finding the right supplement and dosage to complement your drug prescription. Well, now it's time for our health freedom segment, and we are delighted to have with us today a very special guest who is speaking with us from Tennessee, homeopath Tanya Kell. Tanya is the president of the North American Society of Homeopaths, an organization dedicated to advocacy for the professional homeopathic specialist. Ms. Kell is a graduate of the Pacific Academy of Homeopathy and Evolution of the Self School of Homeopathy. She achieved her certification and joined NASH in 1996. Since then, she has attended seminars with teachers from around the world and completed the master clinician course with Lou Klein. Her school and practice are in Middle Tennessee. Tanya, are you there? Welcome to the Wellness Connection. Okay. Hello. Good evening. I was muted. (laughs) Oh, that's quite all right. Well, welcome to the Wellness Connection, Tanya. And uh, if you were to start things out, as the president of uh, the North American uh, Society of Homeopaths, what are your goals for that organization? We're really dedicated to providing consumers access to highly trained professional specialists, as we said, Um, the consumer demand for high quality health care in many aspects just grows and grows and we want to let the um, medical community and the consumers of homeopathic products know that there are highly trained professionals out there that are willing to guide them in their healing journey and in the safe use of all homeopathic medicines. Well Tanya before we go on I really want you know typically we do have people who come into the pharmacy and they say, um, I want a homeopathic, you know, I I want something that is homeopathic for my whatever. And it is a misnomer. They don't, what they're trying to say is naturopathic. And they don't know that there's something very specific about homeopathy versus naturopathy. So touch on that just briefly so our listeners have a deeper understanding of that. Right. So the whole world of natural medicine gets lumped together in one pile. But there are distinct branches of natural therapies, and homeopathy is one distinct branch. And the way our medicines are made is unique to homeopathy only. So often people associate homeopathic with natural, as you said, meaning essential oils, supplements, herbs, and uh, any other therapy that doesn't use a pharmaceutical drug. 
Um, but homeopathy has been its own distinct branch of medicine since its inception over 200 years ago. And the homeopathic specialist goes through a lot of training in order to be able to properly apply the remedies. And that, that's a really important distinction is that people need to understand that a homeopathic practitioner is trained specifically in that modality. And what's your organization doing to reach those goals? We participate with the various schools around the country and we have student organizations. We are um, sponsoring meetings between the leaders of the schools. We vet graduates to um, make sure that they have reached a minimum bar of competence and we support them in going into practice with um, an ethics committee, just as any professional organization would do with graduates in their particular field of study. Now, you're, you are the North American Society of Homeopaths. Uh, I'm assuming that also includes uh, those that are up in Canada. Is that correct? Yes. We have members from Canada. We speak to the different schools and professional organizations in Canada as well. Um, we're not extremely active in Canada at the moment because there's so much going on in the U.S., but we hope to have a strong alliance with them um, to continuing forward. So, well, and that brings up a good question or a big uh, uh, question that I think uh, many people are, would be interested in knowing more about. There are some challenges or obstacles to attaining the goals that you and your organization have laid out. Why don't you share with your, our, our listeners uh, a little bit about that? Currently, the FDA is reviewing um, the homeopathic pharmacopoeia of the United States, as is their responsibility. It's been a great opportunity, actually, because it has gotten all aspects uh, of the homeopathic community talking to each other. So all interested parties or stakeholders are having meetings, the consumers, the providers, and the manufacturers. And we are um, speaking to each other about what our needs are what our goals are, what our contributions might be, and how to inform a greater audience about homeopathy, its use, and its safety. So the FDA is a bit of an obstacle because they haven't shown a great interest in consulting with experts in the field when creating policy in regulating our field. So we've... Um, in the Americans for Homeopathy Choice, which is a consumer organization, has filed a petition with the FDA requesting that they take some actions and make some changes in order to better serve the consumer. And they have um, requested that everyone sign on to that position and support that petition. And we very much back them and their efforts, as do many other homeopathic organizations across the country. 
Well, that's that's all great. And, uh, you know, one of the things so that I'd like you to uh, address a little more, you know, other than media like ours, uh, which obviously wants to serve as uh, a uh, a conduit for people to learn more about homeopathy. Uh, it's obvious that there are other media organs that are uh, not quite as friendly, if you, uh, to put it mildly. Um, what are you doing to try to overcome that obstacle? Sure. So it seems to be the era of put out a fake news story or an extremely biased news story or one that hasn't been fact-checked, put it out into the public domain and then make whoever you have um, discredited stick up for themselves rather than look for the truth first. So certainly that is happening some in the homeopathic realm, although there's a lot of great stories coming out and especially the grassroots consumer advocate is really sticking up for homeopathy and talking about their results and the value it holds for their healthcare. Um, but the, we have had trouble getting balanced stories into the mainstream media. Um, we're starting with small steps, speaking to people who are interested in what we have to say, learning how to speak to the media. This is my first real interview with a media outlet, so I'm a little bit nervous. I'm not sure what I'm going to say. I'm not sure what's important. Mm -hmm. And um, great so far. I, I appreciate being here, but, um, you know, we're simple providers of healthcare. We're not savvy with how the media works and um, how to make our story interesting because mm -hmm. success and quietly helping people day to day isn't sensational. So um, it's not real interesting to say, here's a bunch of simple people doing simple things to help those around them. Well, Tanya, how can our listeners find out more about the activities of NASH? <clears throat> so the consumer-facing group in North America is called the National Center for Homeopathy, and they have all kinds of great resources for people who are curious, for people who want to um, start learning to treat themselves and their family at home, and they have a resource guide for finding a homeopath. The North American Society of Homeopaths is professional-facing, so we are a place where the consumer can find a competent provider. So that's homeopathy.com is our web address, and there's a section for finding a homeopath, and you can be assured that each person listed there has had an extensive education and has been vetted by their peers. And could you spell homeopathy for our listeners? Sure. H-O-M-E-O-P-A-T-H-Y. So it's homeopathy.com, is that what you said? Yes. Perfect. All right. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you, Tanya Kell, for joining us on The Wellness Connection. Be sure to tune in next week. And, of course, be sure to submit your burning question the next one we answer may be yours. I'm your co-host, Roddy Aglis. And I'm your co-host, Peter McCarthy. So long for now from the Wellness Connection, brought to you by Wabe and Alpha Therapeutics. See you next time.
Thank you for tuning in to The Wellness Connection with Radia Iglesias and Peter McCarthy. Be sure to join us for another episode next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week.